a country old And I Been chasing after my shadow Welcome back to the Camino Podcast Episode 57 I'm Dave Whitson Nobody asked me my it has taken me longer than ideal to get this episode together. Stop me if you've heard that one before. I managed to squeeze in a week-long walk back on the American Discovery Trail over spring break, closing a gap that had been left when my walk was interrupted by the coronavirus, like everything else. Now, I can say at least that I've walked from the Atlantic Ocean in Delaware to Denver on the outskirts of the Rocky Mountains. Plenty more to do when time permits, if I'm going to reach the Pacific Ocean, but it'll come eventually. After that, my school made an abrupt and unanticipated transition, but a glorious one, back to full on-campus learning, and so that's been a big change to navigate and to enjoy. That delay, though, means this episode is going live during the holy month of Ramadan, and that is certainly apropos. Back in episode 45, when I spoke with Dr. Rowe about her work on the rival claims to patron sainthood for James and Teresa of Avila, and started thinking a bit again about Santiago Matamoros, I found myself wondering about the experience of Muslims on the Camino de Santiago today. Much is made, of course, of the abundance of non-Catholics on the Camino these days. We don't have great statistics on the faith demographics of those pilgrims, or at least I haven't seen them. Consistently, though, somewhere between 85 and 90% of pilgrims receiving the Compostela list either religious or religious and other as their motivation. But who knows what that means, really? Much of it, I'm sure, is composed of other branches of Christianity along with a sizable and probably growing number of people with something best described as a post-secular, unaffiliated brand of abstract spirituality. While I've met occasional pilgrims who ascribe to other traditions, most commonly Buddhism among them, I realized I've never knowingly been in the company of a Muslim pilgrim on the Camino. So I went looking and I found Sadat Shakir, and what a find! Sadat, who is actually a Sufi, decided to walk the Camino de Santiago way back in 2007. Before setting out from his home in Amsterdam, he had an idea. Since he was walking the Camino, why not seek out a pilgrim blessing from the Bishop of Amsterdam? And so he did. And so the blessing was given. And in the aftermath of that, the bishop sent Sadat a letter. He thanked Sadat for the visit, writing that, quote, it struck me that you possessed as a Muslim the openness of heart and spirit to ask a Catholic bishop the pilgrim's blessing for a trip to Santiago de Compostela. You want to display a sign of dialogue and peace between our religions. I greatly appreciated this. The bishop then concluded the letter, quote, In our time, more and more people make this pilgrimage, not only for penance, but also for rest and reflection to find new inspiration and to deepen their faith. You add a new reason, the provision of a sign of reconciliation and dialogue between Christianity and Islam. It is an unusual and convincing initiative. So this episode features a conversation with Sadat and his partner Iris Bejujin. 
While we start with that 2007 pilgrimage, the conversation quickly expands as they have been very busy on pilgrimage initiatives since then. They're not messing around. They have a vision of rebuilding a viable pilgrim route between Europe and Mecca, and they've already built two chunks of it. The Sultan's Trail, linking Vienna and Istanbul, and the Sufi Trail between Istanbul and Konya in Turkey. So that's the arc of this episode, from Amsterdam to Santiago to Mecca. Hope you enjoy. So, Sadat, what first appealed to you about pilgrimage, about going on pilgrimage in general? In 2006, I was reading my own blogs. I was reading, writing on Turkish blogs. And I was reading that I read a few years ago, before 2006, that I would go on a pilgrimage very soon. And then I realized the soon was not concrete enough because without a deadline, people don't move and I don't move either. So, and it was on the 6th of May and I said, oh, next year on 6th of May, I go to Santiago. (laughs) Why? Why were you inspired to make not just any pilgrimage, but the pilgrimage to Santiago? By that time, I did not know that it was a pilgrimage. It was for me just a long distance uh, hiking, and I never did it before because it was my first long distance pilgrimage. Then I talked a lot with with friends of mine that they thought it's a pilgrimage. And they thought it's a pilgrimage with a nasty angle for the Muslims because the Santiago is called Matamoros and the Muslim killer said, oh, are you sure that you want to walk there? I said, but this gives a good opportunity to walk there because then you walk towards maybe a nasty destination in the past, but now it's a good opportunity to come together because then you, you, you have to create at one point an opportunity to come together. Otherwise, you will always have divisions in thinking, divisions in beliefs. But eventually, we all want to have the same thing. We like to have a good life together. So that was my starting point of my pilgrimage. Before, I was just a wanderer, a hiker. Before you departed, I think I read that you received a, a blessing near your home. Is that correct? Yeah, that, that's correct. Because I told a friend of mine, Mohammed al which had a lot of Camino experiences. And he said, 2007 was the year of the Rumi, for UNESCO year of the Rumi. Mm. He said, it's a good opportunity to co-create some things with the local bishop. So he made an appointment for me with him And I went there, and he made a nice, really nice talk. And he's now a former bishop, but then he was so nice. I said, why wouldn't you give me a pilgrim's blessing? As a bishop of Harlem, I'm living here. 
so it would be very good. He said, but you're a Muslim and I'm a Catholic. <laughs> how, how should we do that? <laughs> how did you do said, that? <laughs> yeah, he said, I said, look, uh, you're a man of belief and I go on a pilgrimage for Catholic pilgrimage. So pretend that we are in the same belief, doesn't matter what. And then he agreed with it. And it was a very, very special and intimate moment you now that you share together something which you have in common because you like to go to a place which is sacred for the Catholics. And also the pilgrimage, feeling of pilgrimage is uh, sacred for the both religions. So it was okay for him to do that. And it was okay for me to receive it. Mm. So I was, I was thinking about this. I've been on the Camino many times. I don't know that I've ever personally met and been aware of the fact that I had a, a fellow pilgrim next to me who was Muslim, who was Sufi. I'm sure there, there are some, I just haven't, it hasn't come up for me in my conversations. As you walked, were you really open about your background and speaking with other pilgrims about it? How, how did you engage with your faith while on this Catholic pilgrimage? I was from the beginning very open about it and it was not a big problem, not a problem at all. At some points it was even very warm to exchange ideas with people because then if you tell about your background and people tell about their backgrounds and then you have questions uh, back and forth and you understand each other a lot. And I was very fortunate. The first day I met an Argentinian guy, Juan. And it was really nice because he, he only spoke Spanish and I don't speak any Spanish. And we walked about a month and we talked a lot and we understood each other. And then, you know, you, you walk the Camino, but there are a lot of miraculous things happens on the Camino. Mm -hmm. And then we walked and we didn't understand each other, but we liked each other a lot. And then a few hours later, we bumped on a, on a lady and she was amazing translator. She could simultaneously tra translate from Italian to Spanish, from Spanish to uh, <laughs> English, English to French, and French to German. And so we had an excellent translator for a few days, and she walked a few days with us, but then she was fed up with us <laughs> translating. So, so she left us, but then we continued walking with each other, you know, the groups are changing, getting smaller and bigger and things like that. But we continue to walk together for the most of the month. Did the experience of walking on this Catholic pilgrim trail, which it's worth noting today is walked by probably more non-Catholics than Catholics. I mean, it's a very yeah. diverse pilgrimage community. Did that have any effect on how you relate with your own faith? Did it deepen your spiritual perspective in any way? First, I had a cultural shock because normally when Muslims go to a pilgrimage, there's a lot of devotion in it. And then I was firstly disappointed that a lot of 
hikers who walked on the pilgrimage, there were no non-believers. But then you get used to it because you can get angry of it or you get annoyed with it, but you can also deal with it because this is part of life and everybody has right to live his or her life at the way that they like to live. And the pilgrimage is part of your life. So you can do at any level or any spiritual level that you like to do. So there are no limits in what's good or what's wrong. So at the end, I think the one of the good things of the Camino is that you learn that is nothing wrong, in fact. Everybody is doing the right thing on his or own way. You came face-to-face with Santiago Matamoros, that physical representation, I'm sure multiple points along the Camino. What do you make of that? Yeah, to be frank, I was not thinking too much about the Matamoros story on the way. When you arrive in Santiago, there's some point that you think of, but on the way that you meet so many people that really like to exchange ideas with you. So the Matamoros ideas, in fact, before I start, I was thinking about it and then it just faded away the first day and it popped up the last day. So in between, I was not aware about it. What I really liked was that I was carrying a Spanish language Quran with me. At one point by Carillon Descondes, with this, uh, the chicken in the, in the church. Santo Domingo de la Calzada. Yeah, Santo Domingo. Yeah. And there's a small place just behind. I, I don't know the, I can't recall the name. And it was, it was actually not recommended in the guidebooks, in the Dutch mm. guidebooks. They said, oh, it's not uh, clean, and the refugio was not good, and uh, everything was wrong about this place. But we could not stay in Santo Domingo de Calcado, so we had to move on anyway that day. So we, we have been there. <laughs> and it was really, really an extraordinary nice place because we went there, and the guy received us very warmly and then uh, we cook together and then we eat together at the end he said we have at the attic a small place that we pray together or we meditate together so we went up with all of us and then there were small papers which the pilgrims has written their stories about it so then he made a list of them in languages, Dutch and English and French. And unfortunately, he did not any Turkish one. (laughs) So I read the the Dutch one (laughs) because it's more or less my mother tongue too. So it was okay. And we have, afterwards, we talked about it and uh, he asked, oh, it's special that you're Turkish. And and I was also Muslim. And now it was a long talks and then you go to bed in the morning we had a breakfast he said oh would you mind if we read together from the bible and the quran and see what's how it looks like i said oh that's a good idea it was both uh, books were in spanish so 
for me it was <laughs> funny because I did not understood both <laughs> versions of it. <laughs> so I was reading in the Spanish Bible and he was reading in the Spanish Quran and we had a lot of people around us who were actually understanding Spanish. And it was such a moment then you you know the times stand still. And then you are all together and one and there's nothing between all of us in the same room. And it was such an extraordinary moment that you feel that's a once in a lifetime happening of opportunity. Then afterwards I met a lot of people and we were reading in books, but it was not the same feeling as at that special place. Which I believe is the albergue in Grañón that you're describing. Grañón, yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, yes, yes. Very, very recognizable. Yeah, it's a special yeah. place. And the guy, he was really, really, really nice. Because the hospitaleros, they are nice, but he was really special. Well, I'm glad to hear that this was a positive experience, that you were welcome and that you didn't experience any pushback and that it was good all the way around, it sounds like. You made it to Santiago. You completed this first pilgrimage. Yeah. What was on your mind when you finished it? First, you think, oh, I have 30 days. I have to hurry. <laughs> and then you walk and you walk and you walk. And then all of a sudden you arrive in Saria. And then you realize there's only 120 kilometers more. And then you see that all of us, because by the time that I arrived in Saria, and we had about a group of 30 people who walked more or less with each other all the time, and Juan all the way there too. And then you realize that you don't want to lose the feeling of being together and being on the move and the rituals of the day, the cafe con latte in the morning. <laughs> you say, oh. <laughs> so then you realize that you don't want to arrive in Santiago. Eventually you do. And the last night, night before you arrive in, um, in Santiago, in Lavacoya, we decided to have a dinner together. So that everybody was cooking with each other. And then all of a sudden, I don't know how the people carried all these things because then you had the candles and flowers and <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things. Then you had a very rich table with a lot of things that I would not expect that people would carry in their backpack. <laughs> And we had a very nice evening and everybody was talking and telling about the first day that they met each other. What were they thinking about the other at the beginning and now at the end after about a month? And it was very funny because the first day, some things you don't remember. And I'm snoring a lot. <laughs> then you start in Roncesvalles and you have a very big refugio with 150 beds or something. So there was a Spanish guy, and I don't know, and a, and a German guy, they were next to me in the same 
beds next to me. Yep. And they both said, oh, I hated you that night. <laughs> <laughs> and along the way, then I said, but now I love you. <laughs> as long as you stay in different bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, of course. But yeah, that, that's the problem because you don't have different bedrooms in... Uh, yep. that's a great story what a great final experience on the road before you arrive and when you arrived and it was really nice because then we we arrived with a group and now normally i don't drink a lot i'm not a drinker but Mm -hmm. then they said ah we go paris dakar you have the street with bars yeah at the one end you have a cafe de paris and at the other end, Café Dakar. <laughs> so then we walked Paris Dakar with Orujo, which was really strong, <laughs> and the back with wine. And then I slept in the main square, just in front of Cathedral for an hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> and when that was all done, you were not done with pilgrimage. No. How did you get from there to now where you have gone from a pilgrim on the Camino de Santiago to a founder or co-founder of these two other pilgrimage routes, the the Sufi path and the Sultan's Trail? I I walked in 2007 to Santiago and I was really full of it because it was quite an experience. And then in 2008... I walked the last part again from Saria to Santiago and to Finisterra. And then in both hikes, I thought I, I, I like to walk to Turkey because I come from Turkey. And then I start to make ideas about how to walk to Turkey and what to do and not with the idea of uh, having a new route. Mm-hmm. And then a friend of mine, he said, ah, oh, but if you walk, why would you walk for nothing? <laughs> Let's create a new route. I said, but you cannot create a route. Because <laughs> yeah, you can create a route, but you, you will have to have historical background. Why would people walk to Santiago because of the history, because of the feeling, because of the nature? Yeah, a lot of things are come together in, in Santiago. Mm-hmm. So then we start to look to an idea of what would be nice because my end point was Istanbul. Mm-hmm. So then that would be the end point. But then you have to start to find a good point of starting. Mm-hmm. So then we looked in the history, Turkish history, history of the Balkans. And then we realized that the Turks went uh, all the way to Vienna. Mm. Said, ah, oh, then we start in Vienna, but it was not so good for me because then, because my original hike was more to the south, so I had to divert to Vienna. It cost me a lot of days longer <laughs> to walk, and then then we had a at the starting point and we had a uh, historical background, and I was the first modern day walker on the route. But anyway, that's the old uh, Roman and Ottoman uh, roads uh, leading towards uh, Budapest, Belgrade, Budapest, and Vienna. And in fact, a lot of people know the route there. 
because I was in Belgrade and I never talked about anybody because it was more of an idea in my, and then I was invited with fishermen just after Belgrade in Serbia. And then I said, I walked the Sultan's Trail. He said, oh, this good little box next to that. <laughs> I said, how do you know that? He said, it's called Charsky Drum here. So they had a name, Serbian name for it, for the Sultan's Trail. The Charsky Drum is the Serbian name of the road who leads to the city of the Tsar, the Sultan. Wow. It was already there. <laughs> so I thought I was with a friend of mine making up the name. In fact, the English name, we made it, but the local names are the, the translation of the Sultan's Trail in various languages, it was already there. Wow. And when you walk to the shepherds, they know how the roads walk and where the highest points was, where the Ottomans stopped, where the Romans stopped. And so it was all all known. Hmm. But we had to rediscover it. It was more of us rediscovering for me than for the local people. So this isn't just some modern route that you created i mean you you might have been doing that but accidentally you ended up with very much a historic traveler's path it's a historic traveler path because if you read many of the travelogues in the middle ages they all mention the same places but like the santiago the old path doesn't exist Mm. because the old parts were more natural uh, ways of roads. So the old part was first covered with stones, then was covered with concrete, and then most of the place there are now three-lane highways. So we had to discover the nice hiking parts between places. So if you walk from Belgrade to Smederevo in Serbia, then you don't want to walk on the main road. So then we were mostly looking for paths and the parts of the ancient paths and some parts of the ancient roads, but most of them are unfortunately gone. Yep. The route itself, the ID is old like Santiago, but the paths that we walk are actually more or less new. Okay. Where is this in its development? Do you have regular walkers out there these days? Is it still very early and, and, and walkers are, are rare? How far along is it in its development? We have regular hikers on the way. Okay. But not in the quantities of, of Santiago. But of course. <laughs> no, actually, none of the long-distance hike routes are near Santiago. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we have regular hikers on it, regular cyclists on it. Actually, we are getting more and more cyclists on it because of the, you know, speed and the easiness. And, and we live in the Netherlands and uh, near Belgium. And most of the Dutch and the Belgians are cyclists. So, and our first guidebook was in Dutch language. So we attract a lot of Dutch people on the bicycle and Belgian people on the bicycle. Are you building 
an infrastructure for walkers? Are you able to find communal accommodations? Is there way marking? Is it more reliant on GPS? Like, how is that? Yeah, we have an Android app mm-hmm. where people can walk with, and we have a digital package with GPS and accommodation and local contact points and things like that. Yeah. So people can walk. We have guidebooks in Dutch language, unfortunately. We are in process of writing in English. We have a small part in English because friends of ours want to walk there. So we wrote in English for a small part from Nisofia Plopiv, just for the friends. (laughs) (laughs) But mostly in the beginning, we had most information in Dutch. But now we are in process of translating into English. But most of our hikers, they walk now with a digital package. Yep. They get the GPS into their phones or Garmin devices or whatever device they have. And, you know, a lot of younger people, they walk with the app, yep. which makes more sense for the younger people. And we have, like the Camino, Sultan's Trail passport, so they can collect stamps and they are visible on the way. And when they reach Istanbul, they get a certificate. People listening, many of them know what it's like to complete the pilgrimage in Santiago, what it's like to arrive in Santiago de Compostela. What's it like to arrive in Istanbul at the end of the Sultan's Trail? My first walk, I walked from the Netherlands to Istanbul. Mm -hmm. And it was really a shock because (laughs) you walk all the way, quite distant roads and paths and small villages and, you know, like the Camino. And then all of a sudden you arrive in Istanbul there live 60 million people. It's a hectic of, no, <laughs> this is really, really hectic. So you have to adjust a lot. But once, once you are inside the old city walls, then you have the pilgrimage feeling. But day or two before the city walls, that is really terrible because <laughs> it's too much hectic. It's a long way through the modern city to get to the the old town. Yeah, that's true. But it's like the Santiago, you know, if you walk around Lyon, then you go also industrial areas and the areas which are not nice. But then first I was really annoyed that it was really what I found terrible. But then I think, oh, this is also part of your pilgrimage because you have very nice things, very ugly things, but eventually a pilgrimage is about your inner journey and your interactions with the people and the interaction with the people in Turkey that makes a lot of things very good because then you walk in a country which is extremely hospitable. So the ugliness of the surroundings is was compensated with the friendliness of the people. What is the official end of the Sultan's Trail in Istanbul? Final destination is the mosque of the Sultan Suleiman. Okay. Which had the first to try to conquer Vienna. <laughs> <laughs> so then we end in the, in the mosque in the middle in Istanbul. And the view is extraordinary. So that's a good point to end your pilgrimage or your journey to Istanbul, which is when you arrive there, 
So you don't hear the the city, you don't hear the the noise of the city, then you're in a calm space, then you know that you arrived on a good spot. All right, so you walked the Camino de Santiago twice, and then you created the Sultan's Trail. Yeah. What led you next to the Sufi path? Eventually, when, when I was trying making the route, we had a bigger plan in our head, but then you cannot make a big plan at once. So our big plan is to create a route to Mecca. Oh. So, <laughs> <laughs> so from home to Mecca, people can start wherever they are, and then eventually they can catch up with one of the routes and then they call to Mecca. The good thing about our idea is people, when they walk to Jerusalem, they take the same route. Mm-hmm. So we have on Sultan's Trail a lot of people who want to walk from northern part of Europe. So they have a nice part going to south to Istanbul. And then the second part that we have created now, the Sufi Trail, at least to central Turkey. And then it goes to Syria. Unfortunately, nowadays you cannot walk there, but it will come a day that you can walk there. So our idea is to develop one route from Europe, leading you very easily and safely to Jerusalem and to Mecca. What is walking through Turkey like on the Sufi trail? You know, it's a warm shower. <laughs> because when you walk, uh, really, because when you walk there, unlike the Sultan's Trail, the part of the Sufi trail is part of the old pilgrimage route from Istanbul to Jerusalem to Mecca. Because now since the beginning of the Christianity and acceptance of the Christianity by the Romans in 313, it was a pilgrimage route to Jerusalem. And afterwards with the Ottomans, it was part of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to Mecca. So it was the route that we walk Let's have the infrastructure of the pilgrimage with caravanserais and the bridges and what you normally expect from a pilgrimage route. Sultan's Trail is you know, more of in, in Europe. And if you try hard, then you get the feeling of pilgrimage. But on the Sufi Trail, you immediately have the feeling of the pilgrimage, that you are on a spiritual journey. And then you walk and... People understand that you are on your way to Jerusalem or to Mecca because we have a lot of people from Poland and from all over Europe walking on the Sufi trail going to Jerusalem. The walking in Turkey is for a hiker and a lesser extent for the cyclist. An excellent experience to walk there. I've only walked in Turkey on the Lycian Way in the south. But the hospitality, the tradition of hospitality remains very strong. And I felt welcomed consistently over and over again. Yeah, that's true. And on on the main pilgrim route to Mecca, then you have to double that with 10 that you have experienced. (laughs) Really, people, it's also from the Islamic tradition to help the travelers that gives you a pity in your good karma, but if you help the 
travelers to Mecca, it gives more pity. So then you have a more of a good karma and it, you feel that because people like to help you or you walk to Jerusalem or to Mecca, it doesn't make a difference because if you go on a pilgrimage, then you are very, very welcome. How different does it feel for you, if at all, walking in Turkey, home country, primarily Islamic country, in contrast to walking the historically Catholic pilgrim route in Spain, different language, different country? Does it feel like a notably different experience? In fact, not. Hmm. Because when you walk in Santiago, you feel that you are walking actually on a pilgrim's path. That people know that you are a pilgrim. In the other routes, then you are most of a hiker. Mm. So the approach of the locals and your fellow hikers or fellow pilgrims is different there. Because I, I walked also many times afterwards on the Sultan's Trail, which is a nice path. You have a variety of nice people, a variety of natural views, and this is nice to walk. But the feeling of a pilgrim is quite different. That you feel on the Sufi Trail more of a pilgrim, while on the Sultan's Trail you are more of a hiker. You are still welcome, because if you walk in Serbia, Serbians are more or less the Turks in hospitality, maybe more than Turks in <laughs> hospitality, because you're invited a lot, invited a lot, but in Turkey, you get a lot of tea Yeah, when you're invited, chai. It's so good. But in Serbia, you're, you get a lot of rakia, which is a strong liquor. So, <laughs> and they start in five or six in the morning. So. <laughs> I think I'm better off with the tea, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah. But still, a lot of tea is also not so good. Yeah. Iris, you've been here this whole time, and I just want to bring you into the conversation. What What are your thoughts on these routes that you have experience with as well? Yeah, for me, it, I also started with the Camino, which gave me, uh, like most of the people, a lifetime experience of a big change or where you feel that you really don't need anything or the, the pilgrimage lifestyle was immediately uh, adapted. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I was hooked straight away. So I started as a physical input. So not so much uh, for religious, but more for a physical challenge. Then I met Sadat and we had a hike for three weeks in Bulgaria on the Sultan's Trail. And I was really uh, amazed by the nature because actually the Camino is not nature-wise so impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really impressed with the last Rodopi Mountains. And then you hike from the Rodopi Mountains into Turkey. And we had a really nice experience because we went from Ederne, the old Ottoman capital, which for me, I felt like I was in one of those fairy tales of 1001 nights. <laughs> Very Ottoman, lots of very impressive architecture by Sinan, the, the one who builds all these amazing mosques and things. So, yeah, for me, that was really an uh, experience. And then I, together with Sadat, developed the cycling route. Mm. So then 
it kind of kept rolling, rolling, rolling. Then we did the hiking route and we started to think about, oh, what is more practical mm-hmm. and wrote the books. And so since then, we never stopped. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just going on, going on. And now we're busy with Mecca. And the most practical way to do it is to first develop the hiking trail, because then the cycling trail is very easy. They are very different because a hiker would go more over the mountains, a cyclist would go around. And you will look more for asphalt, whereas a hiker would look more for nice, sandy, quiet hiking routes, (laughs) (laughs) whereas cyclists can't come. And so, yeah, now we're mainly busy with all the details rather than why did we start? (laughs) It's just rolling crazy now. (laughs) It's exciting to have that focus and to have the forward momentum and to see the vision coming together little by little. I even said this morning, I don't even question myself anymore of how do I feel? I'm just busy all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I don't wonder. (laughs) Sadat, I was wondering if you had made the Hajj yet, are you hoping to make it by foot entirely? I hope to do that. I I have been many years ago to Mecca, but then it was more for my work in Jeddah. So I drove to Mecca for the morning prayer and then went back. For Hajj, you have to be there on a particular time. But for the small Hajj, Umrah, you can go anytime that you want. For Hajj, there are a lot of restrictions. So I think most of the hikers and cyclists are not allowed to arrive in Mecca during the Hajj period. So I think for us, it would not be possible to go on foot to Hajj, but maybe for Umrah, to visit Mecca outside the Hajj period. And that's what we really like to go, either on foot or cycling. But this is our dream, to arrive there slowly. But how slowly, we don't know yet. (laughs) And a lot of that is out of your control. Of course. Because when we first started thinking about the Mecca Trail, then Saudi Arabia, they had very strict visa regulations. No tourists could arrive easily. And then they changed a few years ago that tourists can apply for a tourist visa and enter the country. So that makes a lot of things possible. And we hope in the meantime that the situation in Syria would uh, stabilize and that anyway, it would be stable enough and safe enough to walk or cycle through Syria, because Syrian people, I've been before the war to Syria, and I was really amazed about the honesty of the people and how safe it was, because you could leave your stuff anywhere, and after hours you come back, and it was still there. Mm-hmm. Nobody would touch it, nobody would take it away, nobody. No, I, I never experienced such a safe country, not even in Turkey. And also, uh, when we so, travel nowadays and we, we meet a lot of uh, refugees, they're actually the people who still give the most sometimes, even though they have nothing. It's really heartbreaking sometimes. Because in Turkey, yeah. we, when we travel for the first time in a region, we don't know people. And we were a lot of times invited by Syrian refugees to stay with them in their homes. Hmm. So which was really quite Funny situation because we were hikers having refuge by the refugees. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. really special. Yeah. 
And it, that's really, really special because we enjoyed that moments too because then you know that even if people has lost their whole livelihood in their own country and they move to another country and you arrive as a traveler, they still host you. Well, for many reasons. I hope you're able to make it to Syria <laughs> before too <laughs> yeah, long. I hope, I yeah. hope that too because yeah. I think... For us personally, it would be good to have a trail. But I realized that a lot of people who really wants to walk to Jerusalem or to Mecca, that would be good for them too. And also for the local people, what I understood the first time that I walked in Spain and the same problem occurs in many parts of Europe and Middle East, small villages are dying. Yeah. Because there is no economical perspective and a hiking trail that brings you know sometimes we think oh the small amount of money but villages survive on small amount of money because then if 10 or 15 people come a day a village would survive mm -hmm. without us hikers or cyclists a lot of villages eventually disappear because people move to the cities and with a route they get also a self-confidence that you see also in Spain. Then people say, oh, we are on the Camino de Santiago. And I was very amazed on the Sultan's Trail. And then first people told me, oh, our village has nothing to offer. <laughs> no, this is so ugly here. I said, no, it's not ugly. You are living in a, one of the most beautiful places on earth, like in Bulgaria. And then a few years later, I met other people in the same village and they said, we are living in, on the Sultan's Trail. Mm. Yeah. I said, oh, that's good. Because they did not knew me, but they knew that the trail was there and they were part of an international route. And you see that in Supi Trail too, it brings hope to the small villages. Well, this has been invigorating and heartening, and I'm just so appreciative of all the work you're doing. I know how much work is involved in assembling all of those details. So thank you for doing it. Thank you for that service to other pilgrims in those communities. And it's just been a pleasure speaking with you both. Thank you, Dave. It was a pleasure was for, on our side. I don't know about you, but I come out of a conversation like that with two conflicting thoughts. Thought one, wow, the Sultan's Trail and Sufi Trail sound really interesting. I want to go learn as much as I can about them right now and then dream a bit about following them. Thought two, dang it, <laughs> I already have more routes that I'd like to walk than time that will ever be available to do so. And this is torture. Anyway, just to twist the knife a bit, here's a little more to know. The Sultan's Trail spans some 2,400 kilometers between Vienna in Austria and Istanbul, Turkey, and has been recognized as a European cultural route already. The route traces Suleiman the Magnificent's first defeat 
a momentous loss that halted a potential Ottoman conquest of Europe. There's no small symbolism in the fact that the route begins at St. Stephen's Cathedral in Vienna, where the bells are made from Ottoman cannons that were melted down and recast for that purpose. The route spans 10 countries, offering a representative slice of Eastern Europe and the Balkans, including mountainous stretches through Romania and Bulgaria. Meanwhile, the Sufi Trail is a bit more compact, covering just 800 kilometers. That is to say, it's Camino-sized. The route proceeds eastward across Turkey from Istanbul, following the old Sultan's Hajj route. It's lined with sites of antiquity, including multiple spots associated with King Midas. So if you have an interest in the ancient world on up to the medieval, there's tons to see there. And thanks to Sadat and Iris's work, plenty of information is available to aspiring pilgrims about both of these routes. Just check out sultanstrail.net and sufitrail.com to learn more. That's all for this episode. Thanks again to Sadat and Iris for speaking with me. We might be heading into another production lag, so it could be a while until there are new episodes, along with transitioning back to in-person school and the accompanying time that that chews up. I'm also gearing up for a long walk this summer. Hopefully in Europe, as of late April, there are encouraging signs, but if not, I'll be continuing along on the American Discovery Trail. But I will be back here at the microphone again in some point. And until then, we've got 57 episodes in the can. You can track them down on Apple, Google, Spotify, SoundCloud, on the Camino Podcast Facebook page. And beyond that, there are many, many more great Camino podcasts out there, more than ever before. So there's plenty to fill the void. Thank you, as always, for listening. And I've been chasing after my shadow. Nobody asked me.